Investment products are not FDIC-insured, not a bank guarantee, and may lose value. Please read other important information, which can be found on the link at the end of the podcast episode. Good morning, everybody, and welcome to the post-Labor Day on the Market podcast. I hope everybody had a good summer. I certainly did. More on that a little later. Uh, in terms of where we are right now, this has been another year of American exceptionalism in equity markets. Uh, U.S. equity markets are up across the board, large cap, small cap, value growth, while the rest of the uh, global markets are flat to down. Uh, Now, there are some signs of caution ahead, including fatigue in U.S. tech stocks, fading fiscal and monetary stimulus next year, and some constitutional and tariff risks. But the the big picture is that the U.S. economy is leading the charge, much, much as it has for the most part, since 1988, uh, and we show a chart with a brief period in the mid-2000s where Europe and Japan took the lead over the U.S. in the equity markets, but that was a pretty brief episode. Uh, we've got some data in here showing that the U.S. corporate sector, uh, not just earnings and EPS growth, but revenue growth as well, is outstripping the rest of the developed world almost by a ratio of two to one. So the earnings, revenue, and EPS story is pretty good in the U.S., and most of the signs of the business expansion still look positive, even though higher interest rates are starting to cool off housing and autos a little bit. And so while it's been faddish in recent years to go against the U.S. consensus, such a, that kind of strategy has been remarkably unrewarding so far. In terms of t- fatigue on tech stocks, there was something notable about the second quarter. Almost every single company tech company outperformed EPS expectations. A lot of them sold off anyway after reporting. And to me, this is a sign, a little bit of a market that's getting tired. Um, some, of the, some of the stocks that sold off, uh, like Facebook and, and Netflix did so because they provided a weak, either weak margin guidance or weak subscriber growth targets. But still, it was kind of remarkable to see almost every single tech company outperform uh, expectations and around half of them sold off or maybe even a little bit more. And so um, I think the next 12 months compared to the last 12 months will be another period where returns are below the pace of earnings. And so that's kind of what's happened over the last 12 months. You've had earnings growth um, in the U.S. of, let's say, 24%, uh, even 16% without the tax cut, and uh, the S&P returns closer to 8 to 9%. So uh, we're expecting more of that ahead. In other words, earnings are strong, multiples compress, and that uh, uh, stock market uh, returns are somewhat below the rate of earnings. The things that we're keeping an eye on that make me a little bit more nervous about uh, rising volatility next year, we've got the tariff resolution with China. It certainly looks like Trump is trying to wrap up or postpone disputes with Mexico and Europe so that he can unite the developed world against Chinese trade practices. Uh, we'll find out more later this year exactly the magnitude, the breadth, et cetera, et cetera. It, it's fair to say that so far, even with the modest tariff increases that have taken place to date, this is the biggest rollback of globalization that's t- taken place in the last uh, 50 years or so. And so we're, we'll learn more this fall about that. Um, the administration has already made it more difficult and complex for U.S. venture capital investors to get money from China if anything they invest in can be deemed as being critical, emerging, or foundational technologies. Uh, Midterm elections are coming up. We've written about that 
a couple of times before. Uh, there's a chart we have in, in our, our piece this week that shows that while the president's party at times has gotten routed in the midterm elections, almost always that was because the economy was doing pretty poorly in terms of unemployment or because the stock market was doing poorly or both. During the midterm elections, when both stocks and labor markets were looking good, uh, the president's party only lost a few seats. So on paper, that's what one should expect, given the strength of the economy and the lowest unemployment rate in such a long time. To the extent that there's a larger Republican route in the midterm elections, one would have to assume that that's a referendum on the president himself. And uh, at that point, markets are going to take a close look at any potential changes to the president's pro-business agenda and any impeachment risks. And a lot of people have been doing a lot of reading about the early 70s, which is a pretty fascinating period. And what's interesting is there's a perception sometimes when you read articles about Watergate that there were a lot of brave Republicans that that turned on the president. That's true, but very much at the 11th hour, and until that 11th hour came, Republicans were quite united in support of Nixon. And as a matter of fact, all 10 members of the, all 10 Republican members of the Judiciary Committee blocked every single article of impeachment uh, until a few days before Nixon resigned. So uh, the mere fact that a president enjoys a certain level of support doesn't always mean it's going to stay that way. And um, we've got a chart in here that looks at some of the returns that took place during the Watergate era so we could try to get a sense for what the market risks are, even after distilling out the unemployment, um, oil price crises and FX crises that were taking place in the early 70s. And my best guess is that a constitutional crisis by itself could take 5 to 7% off the stock market. Um, we're also watching what the Fed is up to. J.P. Morgan's investment bank is expecting six more rate hikes by the end of 2019, which would put short-term rates somewhere around 3.5%. Uh, they've got the most aggressive forecast of all the ones we see out there. Uh, the markets are pricing in three hikes. So there's a pretty big difference between what our firm is expecting for rate hikes and what the markets are pricing in. That could be uh, a cause of some volatility next year. Uh, And then outside the U.S., the biggest thing to watch is Italy. Um, Right now, the the net net portfolio outflows out of Italy were higher in the second quarter than at any time since records began in 1997. Uh, And there's been a sharp increase in protecting against the cost of Italy leaving the eurozone, which is, and I made up a word called Europartenza to to uh, refer to European uh, to Italy's departure from the eurozone. The new government swears that that's not their goal and their objectives, but they are certainly heading for a conflict with the eurozone itself. Brussels is calling for a fiscal contraction in Italy, and and Italy's new government wants a fiscal expansion. So um, there's always a risk of a market scare in Italy when you think about the fact that over the last 30 years, their growth rate has been the lowest in the developed world, even worse than Japan's. And their citizens have the lowest support for the Eurozone of all the members. So um, most of the news internationally looks, you know, stable. China looks pretty stable. You know, Japan is, is growing a little bit again, and the U.S. looks good. But but it, I think it pays to keep an eye on some of the pressures in Southern Europe, and particularly in Italy uh, and um, uh, I guess the bottom line is I, I don't think that the era of U.S. outperformance of global markets is going to be coming to an end uh, this year or, or next year. 
Uh, a couple last comments. We had some. Um, we have some information here on commercial real estate. The last few years have been really fantastic for commercial real estate in terms of low interest rates and tight credit spreads. And then more importantly on the fundamentals, demand for new office, retail, and industrial space were consistently outstripping supply. And that probably even more than the capital markets environment is what was driving uh, a lot of enthusiasm and, and, and capital and uh, high returns in commercial real estate. Just in the last few months, the rate of demand has now converged with supply. So it doesn't necessarily look like a massive supply overhang, but it is the end of this golden era during which there was uh, substantially higher demand than supply in the office retail industrial markets. And so I wouldn't be surprised to see uh, plenty of supply in the commercial real estate markets coming online over the next year, uh, which, of course, would not be a surprise to any of our commercial real estate clients, many of whom have been finding it much easier to sell than to buy um, in the last few years, given valuations. So that's the bottom line. Um, Economy looks great. Uh, U.S. economy looks good. Um, Earnings and profits look good. Margins have now hit an all-time high. Uh, And the flies in the ointment have to do with high valuations. The fact that other than during the tech bubble, we've got the most concentrated equity market in terms of a handful of stocks, which are contributing the bulk of the gains. We have a chart on that in this week's piece as well. Uh, And then, of course, some of the constitutional and tariff risks, which uh, hopefully will be resolved over the next few months. Um, I mentioned at the beginning that I had a good summer. And for those of you that like fishing, I've got a link in here to some uh, pictures that my wife and I went on a um, 25th anniversary trip to catch tigerfish in uh, northwest Zambia near the Angolan border. It was her idea, and uh, it was a really good one. We had a great time. And we also got a break from having to watch the Rachel Maddow show, or at least I did, um, every night when I get home. So uh, I look forward to seeing a lot of you this fall in my travels, and we'll speak to you soon. Michael Semblist's Eye on the Market offers a unique perspective on the economy, current events, markets, and investment portfolios, and is a production of J.P. Morgan Asset and Wealth Management. Michael Semblist is the chairman of Market and Investment Strategy for J.P. Morgan Asset Management, and is one of our most renowned and provocative speakers. For more information, please subscribe to the Eye on the Market by contacting your J.P. Morgan representative. If you'd like to hear more, please explore episodes on iTunes or on our website. This podcast is intended for informational purposes only and is a communication on behalf of J.P. Morgan Institutional Investments Incorporated, a member of FINRA and SIPC. Views may not be suitable for all investors, and are not intended as personal investment advice or as a solicitation or recommendation. Outlooks and past performance are never guarantees of future results. This is not investment research. Please read other important information, which can be found at www.jpmorgan.com disclaimer eotm.